Hey friends, this is Andy Storch, and I'm excited to announce that we are bringing the Talent Development Think Tank Conference back on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. Yes, you might remember we hosted this conference for the first time in January 2020, and it was a huge hit with everyone telling us it was the best conference they ever attended. And of course, we were looking forward to running it again in 2021 until the pandemic hit. That's when I launched the Talent Development Think Tank membership community, and that's been going strong since May of 2020. But I know how valuable it is to get people together in person, and that's why we are excited to be bringing the conference back again on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. I'm committed to making this a highly engaging and interactive event where you can connect, learn, and grow together with other talent development professionals. This is going to be the best event out there in talent development, and I would love to see you there. If you want to find more information and get your tickets today, the website is tdtt.us conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. I hope to see you there. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat, a show where I interview business executives, talent development professionals, and thought leaders to find out what has been successful and challenging in the world of talent development. My objective is to share ideas, valuable lessons, tools, advice, and trends. My hope is that all of this will ultimately help you, the listener, expand your knowledge, grow your career, and accelerate your success as a talent development professional. Welcome back to the Talent Development Hot Seat. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I am excited that you are joining me today. And today I am here with Mark Efron from the Talent Strategy Group. Mark, welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. Thrilled to be here, Andy. Yeah, this is uh, exciting because I know you've got a lot of fans out there in the talent development community, a lot of great connections, and also uh, exciting and uh, a slight bit nerve-wracking for me because I do most of my interviews virtually, and we are actually sitting together in your office in One Pen Plaza in New York City, and uh, I just happen to be up here for some client work, and you happen to have some time free. And we're able to make this happen, and so far, I think it's working. I think it's fun stuff. I do a lot of these remotely, and it's no fun not being able to see the person on the other end of the phone. So I I think an in-person podcast is a very cool thing. Right, and sorry for the listeners at home that can't see this, but Mark has a pretty sweet view from his office on the 36th floor overlooking Manhattan and the East River in New Jersey. Pretty awesome. And if uh, you're looking for a role in consulting firm, you could have this view as well. So Uh, let let me know. We were just (laughs) talking right before we started recording. Mark is looking to grow his team. So if you are looking for a role at a small consulting firm, but let's get to that. I'd love to hear more about how you got to where you are today with this firm. So uh, maybe you can share some of your background. Sure. Um, I'll I'll do the high speed version of history and then tap the brakes a bit when I get here. Uh, This firm is really a culmination of me moving back and forth between corporate and consulting worlds and both learning from both and getting frustrated in both over time. The learning, which was incredibly beneficial at companies like Bank of America and Avon Products, and then when I was leading the consulting practice at Hewitt, was just about how companies and people interact both successfully and, and not successfully and kind of getting a frame around that. But on the on the corporate side, really recognizing that companies in no way were growing talent at the pace or with the kind of the accuracy that they needed to. And I just had this view that companies could radically simplify how they did this. They could apply more of the great science that we know is proven to work and just be far more effective 
And so when I published my first book, uh, One Page, or third, but first big book, One Page Talent Management, it was kind of a put up or shut up moment for me, which was, hey, you think you're better? Why don't you go out and see if you can prove it? Hmm. And so that was really what the, the firm started off as, is kind of me consulting. And, uh, and then about five years ago, decided I was up to my eyeballs and I wanted more of this work to get out to more people and started to grow the firm. Nice. Um, There are a lot of people, I'm guessing, out there like me who think about writing a book. And I know there's a lot of work that goes into that. And that's what holds us back. Uh, But there's a lot of benefits, too. And when you and I talked before, it sounded like the book was a big catalyst to doing all this work you're doing now. Absolutely. Without one page talent management, there would not be a consulting firm Mm -hmm. uh, for a few reasons. One, a book is just a big business card at the end of the day. Most of the people who buy the book never read the book. They simply know that you wrote the book, which is fine. They, They gave you three bucks in commission and and, uh, you get some PR out of it. But more importantly, what it allowed me to do was just to kind of synthesize my ideas Mm. in a way that in many ways kind of sells the firm. So people read the book and they say either I can do it myself, which is the whole whole purpose of one page talent management, or this sounds good, but I could use a bit of advice. And so it was really helpful. I think the challenge for most folks who say, I should write a book. Writing a book is actually relatively easy. I mean, it's a pain in the ass, but yeah, it's relatively it's easy compared to selling a book. Mm. Because the the mistake most authors make, I made this, everybody else I talked to made it, is, oh, my publisher sells the book for me. Yes, I've heard this. No, they don't. Mm. Your publisher puts ink on paper mm-hmm. and make sure that Amazon has some copies of your book to ship out when you yeah. want to. And make sure it's all done right, the distribution and everything. Exactly. Right. Most of them, first of all, don't even edit, which is the biggest sin because most books mm. are horribly written. Yeah. Um, and they certainly don't sell for you, Yeah. which is why when you talk to most publishers, the question they're going to ask you is, do you have a platform? Mm. And you're going to say, what the heck's a platform? Right. Which is, hey, thousands of people listen to Andy every week. That's a platform. Mm-hmm. Why is anyone going to buy this book author because we sure as heck aren't going to sell it for you. Yeah. So writing as much of a, a pain as it is, is actually the easy part of the book. Yeah. Um, selling the book and kind of being a shameless promoter is uh, is the tough part. Yeah. And I I've, I think I've heard that uh, a lot of people uh, have these ideas and they'll write a book and they expect they're just going to put it on Amazon and all of a sudden people are going to go buy it. And then of course there's crickets because they don't know how to go market it or sell it. But I've also heard that, like you said, the book is the new business card. Because when you give someone a book, and a lot of people write these books with the point of, I'm not going to make money from selling this book, but I'm going to give people the book and it's going to build my authority. It shows them my point of view if they read through it. And then they can say, like you said, they maybe they try to do it themselves, which now you can at least say you help somebody. And most likely, no matter what the book's about, talent management or building a house or selling a house, they'll read the book and say, I'm going to do this myself. And then realize I can't do this myself yeah. and I need help. Well, and what I love about One Page Talent Management is, is my co-author Miriam and Ort, Miriam Ort and I wrote it to be a handbook, meaning our my goal writing the book wasn't, oh, I'm going to sell work because of it. It was, look, guys, this isn't that tough. Mm-hmm. Here's a little bit of science to explain why it should work. Yep. Here's a lot of practical advice to explain how to put it to work. Go do it. Yep. Now, I was actually surprised by how few people say, yeah, I want to go do it. But also, I've got a ton of people who will come up to me at a, a conference or something else with a dog-eared copy of the book. Nice. They're like, I've been through four chapters and done everything. Now we're working on chapter five. Yeah. It's like, cool. That's right. exactly the point of the book is if you want to apply yourself, you should be able to do this yourself. 
That's fantastic. Well, let's get into the science behind talent management because that's a lot of what the book is about, a lot of where you provide value for clients. So can you tell me a little bit more about your philosophy there and what went into that? Sure. Um, Well, both in One Page Talent Management and the new book, uh, Eight Steps to Higher Performance, the foundation is there is so much behavioral and psychological science that if not directly tells us, strongly guides us as to what to do at work to be more effective. Mm. And my view is, and it's funny, I found this in, uh, when I got to business school, I had no academic background at all, and we were assigned to read an academic paper. And anyone who knows a kind of an academic paper, it normally starts off with a summary of what we already know in this field. And I was reading this paper for the first time, I'm like, Wow, this is cool. Like, gives you all the answers up front. Hey, yeah. professor, are there other things like this? Yeah. They're like, yeah, there are about 100,000 in the library next door. <laughs> and I was like, if we already have all these answers, why aren't we just using them? Yeah. And it just seemed, and I still kind of have that sense of amazement that we know how to do all this stuff, but we don't do it. And mm-hmm. so our minds, our uh, philosophy at Talent Strategy Group starts with the science. What do we know is already conclusively proven to be true about how people and companies operate? Mm-hmm. Let's start there. Let's not make stuff up. Let's not benchmark. Let's not go on, well, I work with eight companies and it kind of start with the science because our view is the work that we do has impact on people's lives. We don't want to play fast and loose with people's lives. You want to say, if I'm going to develop you, Susie, I'm going to develop you, Sam, I want to make sure I'm doing things in the way that is going to yield the best benefit for you. And so when we when we start uh, when we're writing the books or doing consulting, it always starts with what's the best science out there. Mm. The challenge is most of those science most of that science exists in what I call bricks, mm-hmm. not wall. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time you have to get a bunch of bricks together and okay. kind of build your own wall. Yeah. And again, the average mm-hmm. person, one, doesn't have the interest or the time in doing that. Yeah. And so hopefully the value that we add is to say, we're going to sort through all that science. I mean, I just got emails this morning from Academy of Management Journal and mm-hmm. Journal of Applied Psychology. Now, show us what a geek I am. I'm really excited that I got those emails, which are like four articles I think are, will help me to yeah. learn something more. Yeah. But then the second step is how do we translate that into really easy to apply steps? Mm. It's difficult enough to learn the science. It's even more challenging to say, how do I take those bricks and actually build a wall that can be useful yeah. for my organization? Yeah, and I, I'm thinking the, the challenge with some of that science is that it's often written by academics and it's not as relatable sometimes to the everyday person working in a big company office building in a city that has all these other things they're dealing with beyond what's in that controlled environment of talent management when you've also got crazy people that you work with coming and and demanding things from you and and causing distractions. So are you taking some of that academic research and then connecting it back to the real world? Yeah, and that's really the the heart of what we do is, Mm. look, we know that setting big goals works. Okay, well, exactly what gets in the way of most managers doing that. Uh, And let's take, actually, it's a perfect example of there's so much great science around the power of goal setting to increase individual performance. Most companies are horrible at goal setting for absolutely no good reason. Uh, But what we found was it's not about saying, well, you should use this methodology, you know, here's a cute acronym, do that. Most managers get paid based on the long list of things they say they did. Mm-hmm. So if you go to, to Andy, manager, and say, hey, Andy, just highlight the three big goals you want to get done. Well, Mark, I do a lot of important things. Well, I know that, Andy, but what are the three big yeah. things you want to get done? Well, Mark, I get paid for the other things outside the three. I want to make sure yeah. my manager knows about that. Right. So part of it is understanding, well, why don't people do it well? Mm. Um, and so can we teach people to do a few things? One, 
kind of collapse tasks into goals, help people to understand a goal isn't just a thing you're trying to achieve. A goal is the promise you're making to your organization about what you're going to deliver. So kind of elevate the concept a bit Mm. um, and then also just radically simplify it. You don't need to write paragraphs of a goal. Just tell me what you're going to do, by when, and how am I going to know if you got it done or not. Mm -hmm. And just do our best to talk in in very human language to other humans about, hey, we know this works. We also know there's probably some good reasons why you don't do it. One, we're going to give you some good reasons to do it. We're probably going to tell you you have to do it, but we're also going to make it really easy. If you work in talent development, you know that your job has become more important than ever. The problem is there's so much uncertainty and noise out in the business world and things are changing so fast, it's hard to know where to go and what tools and resources to use to solve your problems. That's why I recently launched the Talent Development Think Tank community as a central and safe place to access information, ask questions, and talk with other L&D professionals like you so that you can achieve your goals and accelerate your career. Join today to get instant access to our online platform and community of ambitious, helpful talent development professionals who understand your world and can help you solve your problems. Right now, I'm offering 25% off the subscription price to podcast listeners. Just go to talentdevelopmentthinktank.com and use code HOTSEAT for 25% off. That's talentdevelopmentthinktank.com and use code HOTSEAT. Thanks, and on to the episode. I'm big on goal setting and set a lot of big goals and have worked with people on that stuff as well. And uh, what I've learned is that it's often not about the goal per se, but about the process you put in place. And you've got to set the big goal. You've got to have milestones to understand how are you going to achieve that goal. And then if you put a great process into place, whether you achieve the goal or not may not even matter if you've established a great process. And in fact, I heard a quote the other day, I think it was from Jim Rohn, that the purpose of setting a goal is not about achieving the goal. It's about the person you become by trying to achieve the goal. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, I mean, so that's a perfect example of, we call it science-based simplicity. The, the science around goal setting is just massive and mm-hmm. conclusive, yet most organizations are horrible at it. So I believe that corporations are the source of much good in the world if they're managed well. And things like goal setting is a way to ensure that corporations are actually managed well, because if they're managed well, more people have jobs, more paychecks, more happy families, more strong communities. Yep. But all that starts with a company doing the right thing mm-hmm. to make sure that it's generating the revenue to hire people. Yeah, setting rele- relevant goals. Now, a lot of people, you you dig in a lot into the science and the data behind why people should be doing things. I'm sure you come across a lot of people like me who just make decisions on gut feelings and don't do look at a lot of the science behind why we should be putting things in place. What are some of the mistakes people make of doing things without data or science, yeah, especially so, in companies. Uh, and a lot of your listeners are probably familiar with the Dunning-Kruger effect. And mm. the Dunning-Kruger effect is the result of uh, some pretty cool experiments by Professors Dunning and Professors Kruger, where in kind of a short description, they gave a, a large group of people a variety of tests, some quantitative, qualitative memory, et cetera. And they scored all those tests and they sorted people into the, the various percentiles. And they went back to the people who had scored lowest on the test, like bottom quartile. And they didn't tell them how they did, but they said, hey, we're going to show you some of the other answers that people gave to those questions. Mm. And if you want to, you can change your answers. Mm. And what they were showing them was the right answers. And what did those lower 25th percentile people say? No, thank you. I am good. I'm good. And then they said, well, that's great. Uh, What percentile do you think you scored at? And they said, 66th percentile. Hmm. 
Now, they also went to the people who scored highest in the test, top quartile. And they said, well, how do you think you all did? They said, eh, about 67th percentile. So the problem is twofold. People who aren't very bright think they're as bright as everyone else. Yeah. People who are very bright think that everyone else is as bright as they are. Right. And so part of the challenge is that we're all delusional <laughs> yeah. around that. Yeah. And so we're all going to be very inaccurate in our perceptions. Yeah. Interesting. I, I heard a stat once that that I always think is a good way to embody or, or you know emblemize this, which is that uh, something like eighty percent of drivers believe they're above average drivers. There you go. And, and so the challenge with going on gut, not that we need data for everything, yeah. but the challenge with going on gut is. If you're smart, you might assume that everybody else is doing the same thing as you. So, mm-hmm. well, everyone would assume that we'll meet at Grand Central at seven because isn't that where every? Right. So you might be just be fundamentally wrong because of your assumptions. Yep. And and less perceptive or less smart people will be drawing conclusions that are just fundamentally wrong. Yeah. And so again, where it matters, have data. If you're deciding what restaurant to eat at, go have a good time. You right. know, maybe yeah. it'll be good, maybe it won't. Yeah. But if we're trying to do things that are going to affect people's lives at work. My view is I want belt and suspenders level of confidence around that because mm. I don't want to play fast and loose with somebody's career. Yeah. Can you give me an example of either client that you worked with or um, an engagement that you've done where you leverage a lot of data and science to make a decision about how they were maybe doing something in talent management? Oh, yeah. I mean, almost almost everything. Um, let me try to think of one that, that wraps a lot. Um, we've done a lot of work with a very large pharmaceutical company mm-hmm. Starting when they uh, when they became independent from a parent company, and really started by saying, "Let's be let's be clear about what the mission and vision is for how you manage talent going forward." Mm-hmm. So let's make sure that you're aligned around that. And starting with that very clear vision, we rebuilt every human resource practice based on the very clear science to say, we have two goals in mind. We want to make sure you're achieving your mission, and we want to make sure that everything you do is based on the science. And so what we would do for something like, let's say, performance management to stay stay on that goal-setting topic, Mm -hmm. when we're designing performance management, we would list the 50 questions that science would say your answer to can either send you in the right direction or wrong direction. So everything from how many goals do you want to set to how much coaching do you want managers to give people? Mm. And we literally asked kind of every single question in the design process and said, well, great, that's either kind of within the science or outside of the science. Sometimes you step outside of the science because there's a better, more valid reason to do it. But for both that process and other processes that we designed for them, at every every decision step, we said, does the science have anything to tell us in this area? If so, what is the range of things it tells us? It rarely says do exactly that, yep. but oftentimes it says go in that direction. Mm-hmm. So if we're going in that direction, how do you want it to look? Or if you want to ignore the science, then let's come up with a really good reason why you're why you're ignoring it. Yeah. So uh, that be I mean, we do that with many of our clients where you know, the decision process is informed almost at every step by do we know anything that's true? Mm-hmm. If we do, do you want to stay true to it or not? Yep. If you do, there's some ways to do it. If you don't. Fine, but let's make sure we have a really good logic stream behind saying yeah. we're going to ignore the science. Yeah. Do you have a lot of clients who say, because I can imagine this happening, yeah, I see what you're saying with the science, but I feel like we should be doing something differently and, and uh, go that a, way? Yes, unfortunately, we do have a, <laughs> a number of clients where we compromise. Um, actually, an example would be uh, we run a very small 360 business, not okay. part of our core work, but a lovely 360 business. And 
Science is very clear uh, to what we were talking about, the Dunning-Kruger effect. Most people are horrible at self-assessments. Mm-hmm. We are the least possible, least accurate observer of our own behaviors. Yep. Yet most 360s include a self-assessment. Now, people will say, oh, but there's a value in understanding the distance between your perceptions and others. Actually, the science says there's absolutely no value in understanding that. Really? Uh, what we need to understand is what do people want us to do differently? Hmm. That's it. Here's how you're perceived. Oh, but you know, I don't think I'm perceived that way. That doesn't matter. Yep. What matters is that everyone in the office thinks you talk too much in meetings. Therefore, you need to talk less in meetings. <laughs> right. So your self-perception, um, sorry, you I think wrong. I talk enough. Yeah, I think I, I talk I, a I'm great amount. Exact right amount. That's nice. Yeah. People want you to talk less. So let's yeah. figure out how to do that. So that would be kind of one of those really easy things where we in HR think, oh, self-assessments. You mm-hmm. know, give people a voice and... There's no science that supports that self-assessments uh, in any way help. And in fact, in many cases, we get defensive right. because it reinforces our data point. Oh, well, they really don't understand me, Andy. You know, right. Some of those people don't even like me. Mm-hmm. So, no, it doesn't matter what you think of yourself. And this also goes to just over a bit of a tangent. It goes to the authenticity movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that's that's who I am. Right. Well, who I am might not be who you need to be to be the most effective leader. Right. So you want to choose between the unique and special you yep. or the person who's going to succeed because they know how to flex. Right. Do you want to be successful in this environment or go be yourself somewhere else? Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, before, before we started recording, you and I watching, we were talking about apparel and what we were wearing. You're wearing a T-shirt right now and uh, you want to be yourself. But if you happen to work at a bank, you probably couldn't wear a T-shirt yeah. to work every day. You know, you'd want to be yourself. But they'd say, hey, if you want to be successful here, you've got to wear a suit. That's just the way it is. And that's, that's a great example of. Uh, the science tells you very clearly something works. I mean, you could ign- ignore that because you have a personal philosophy mm-hmm. that you should do something else. I'm actually more concerned about kind of the pseudoscience getting in the way. Mm. Pseudoscience is, and I'll call this out directly and purposefully, the copy of the most recent Harvard Business Review where uh, they highlighted Marcus Buckingham and Ashley Goodall's book, Nine Lies About Work, I think, where they make some fundamentally incorrect claims uh, about things like feedback and goal setting. And the kind of the IO site community is up in arms right now, essentially saying, how do pseudoscience ideas like that get out there? Or in their case, just fundamentally wrong information disguised as science. Mm. Because then the challenge is for those of us who understand what the truth is, we have to talk our clients off that ledge. Mm. Because as anyone who's listening, who sits in a corporate environment knows, at some point, a leader's gonna come to you with a torn out sheet from Harvard Business Review Mm -hmm. saying, why aren't we doing this? Right. Now, these people say that feedback doesn't work. Why are we reinforcing feedback? Yeah. And then you have to fill in that hole before you can build Mm -hmm. anything. Right. And so my my concerns as much about companies ignoring the science as it is about them kind of grabbing onto pseudoscience or bad science Mm -hmm. and saying, oh, this backs up the fact that, you know, I should only focus on my strengths. Yeah. Well, actually, there's no science that would back that up. Right. There's an article that you're waving in my face. You look at the data over time and it just reminds me of what we always hear with like food and beverage and, and dieting and stuff, too. Right. It's like. Every other day, coffee is good for you. Coffee is bad for you, right? Drinking a glass of wine every day is good for your heart. Alcohol is terrible for you. There's always a new study, you know, at a publication because people want to get press that, you know, don't eat meat, eat meat, you know, all these different things. And it goes back and forth. But if you look at 
the science over time and read the people who are really investigating it and doing real studies with control groups and things like that, you can see what actually works in nutrition and you can probably do the same thing in, in talent management as well. well. And it goes to being a careful consumer. I was talking yeah. to a group about this last night. It's difficult for the average Jill or Joe to be a careful consumer in this area because mm-hmm. a lot of the things that have come out recently that have been proven to be fads, power posing, really? grit, mm-hmm. growth mindset, are authored by a Harvard or Stanford or Wharton professor. Mm-hmm. So am I supposed to say, oh, a Harvard professor said something? I probably can't believe that. Right. No, I mean, they have face legitimacy. Why wouldn't I listen to it? Yeah. And especially if in general it kind of makes sense. And so it's really difficult for the average person to say, yeah, I'm going to sort through all of this information yeah. and, and make smart decisions. I mean, that's one of the things that hopefully we help out with uh, in terms of the books and our articles is just yeah. saying, we're going to sort through that mess and come up with an opinion of what we think is more right. Yeah. Well, I have one that I want to ask you about. Before I do, the other thing I want to comment on is what you were saying about uh, relying too much on people self-identifying Uh, things they need to improve or their strengths as well, because on both sides, most people that are doing things that are not working, they're making mistakes, they're offending others, they're they're diminishing people. It's all accidental, right? Because they need to get that feedback to understand. They don't see it. They think they're operating the best. They're operating the best way they can until they get that feedback to improve. And the flip side is you talk about the people that are at the 90th percentile that don't realize it because they've got limiting beliefs around it or they don't really see their own strengths. They need managers or other people around them to identify those to say, hey, Mark, I noticed that you're really good with dealing with data or you're really good at doing these interviews. We want you to do more of these to represent our company. And maybe you didn't realize it because you just didn't have that much experience with it. Absolutely. I mean, to your point, whether you're at the high end or the low end of the spectrum, you're unaware. And I'm a big believer that self-awareness is the key to most success in leadership. Yep. All right, so we're talking about debunking some of these fads and myths. Uh, One thing that I had written down from our last conversation was the 70-20-10 rule. I hear so many clients and people in talent development tell me that they're using the 70-20-10 model. That's the, the key to everything they're putting into place. Yet, I don't know if I've ever heard anyone say to me, yes, this has worked really well for me. It's just that they're using it. So is there data to suggest that to back that up? Does that work? Should people be using it? I know, Bob Eichinger pretty well. And Eichinger and Lombardo were the ones who kind of came up with 70-20-10. It was, Eichinger would tell you there is plenty of science behind it. Mm -hmm. Um, The original article that came out from uh, Center for Creative Leadership one years ago maybe now, was based on a very small study of, uh, I think, about 60 people where the questions were simply, hey, how did you succeed in life and, and what seemed to make the most difference? <laughs> right. And they actually came up with five factors. Yeah. And someone told them, no, five is too many. And yeah. so they collapsed it down to 70, 20, 10. Yeah. So is there science? Kind of. Yeah. I think more importantly, is there anything to refute it? No. Hmm. So... That, I think, is helpful. Just because there's nothing to refute doesn't mean it's true. But there's nothing where we can say, well, there's two competing points of view on this. And I think there's a little bit of face validity as well, because when most of us think about our own development, maybe it's not a perfect 70-20-10, but it's probably, yeah, we learned most from stuff we did. I think part of it's a timing issue as well. 
I'm really glad that my doctor went to medical school. Really, really happy that he went right. to medical school. Right. But if all he had done was go to medical school, yeah. uh, he didn't have 20 years of practice, you know, the guy's not touching me. Or keeping up with the latest yeah, or, things or, that are yeah, going recertified, on. exactly. So part of it is just a, a time thing. Yeah, education is super important at some point in your mm-hmm. life. But when you look at kind of the span of things you've learned, it probably doesn't represent the majority mm-hmm. uh, of of your capability, what's built your capabilities and skills over the years. Right. You've got to have experiences to learn from. Yeah. And those experiences could be experience in real life. What about, so this is a biased question, but I run a lot of experiential learning programs, yeah. which on the face of it, it's a, it's a training program. It could fit into that 10, but it's also a lot of experience, which I think people learn really well from. Yeah. Completely agree. I think a well-run experiential learning program, and I love the classic simulations. Mm-hmm. We drop you in. It's day one in general manager school. Yep. Oh, crap. Your product just killed somebody. Right. Like, what do you... I think that is a wonderful way of fast-forwarding mm-hmm. learning, and especially giving you learning that you may not naturally get. Because let's say you know product failure, that happens, and it's disastrous, and most companies aren't prepared. Spend 30 minutes on it in class and just to give people a quick kind of overview of, well, what should my mindset be when that happens? What are the two things I should think about? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you can fast forward experience. Now, you don't necessarily see the consequence of your decisions, Mm -hmm. but it's a pretty good substitute for, for things you may not naturally experience over 10 or 15 years. Yeah. We're recording this in, uh, you know, April of 2019. What do you think is the state of talent management today in general? I think it's better than it was 10 years ago. I think there are a couple of a couple of nice trends. I think CEOs and boards get talent. Just flat out, absolute. We work with a lot of CEOs, uh, talk to a lot of board members. They understand the value of higher quality talent. The challenge is that's kind of where their level of sophistication around it ends. You know, they get, oh yeah, talent's important and we want more of it really fast. Yeah. After that, the question is, well, what are you, how are you going to operationalize that? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we're getting somewhat better in most companies at saying, what type of talent production line should we have? How do we build better quality talent faster? Mm-hmm. Uh, because theoretically, if you think better quality talent delivers better results, you should want as much of that as quickly as possible. So how do we make sure we have a, a good production line to do that? Yeah. I find in most organizations, unfortunately, there's a lot of good efforts, but what they really haven't done is kind of strung to that production line to say, if our goal is to produce 20 country managers, what's the most efficient way we could do that? Mm. So do we, one, do we even know what we're trying to build? Do we know what a great country manager is? Do we know the most efficient way of producing a great country manager? Is every candidate for country manager on a production line that is moving at the optimum speed? So literally just kind of structuring it in that production way to say, look, we know how to build them then great, let's make sure we're building them. Mm-hmm. And I find that's where things fall down is there's lots of independent efforts. You know, the talent assessment people are over here and, yeah. and the, the learning people are over here and the assessment people. And and we don't string all that together to say, hey, our goal is to get Andy from being a smart 25-year-old to being a 33-year-old successful country manager. How do we get there? Yeah. And, and really just focusing in a very production-oriented way like that. This episode of the Talent Development Hot Seat is sponsored by Advantage Performance Group. Advantage is the first place to call when you need leaders to lead, sellers to sell, and your business to flourish. We specialize in connecting companies with exceptional learning solutions to help them turn strategy into action and get their people doing the best work of their lives. We're also providing tons of great content on a weekly basis. In fact, we recently launched a great webinar series that has been going on weekly 
with content such as creating a culture of multipliers, gender equity, Liz Weissman's webinar on helping rid the world of bad bosses. We have a new webinar from Brent Snow on decision-making. We have a webinar on multipliers and how to use multipliers during troubled times, calming the storm. We have a webinar from our partner, Julie Winkle Giulioni on developing in place how to continue your growth during remote working. And a webinar from Paul Middleton on the secret sauce for learning in the flow of work plus many more, just head to our website at advantageperformance.com. Click on free resources and you'll find the link to webinars and all of our other insights and resources there. Thanks for listening. And now back to the show. So is that, uh, I was going to ask you what makes great talent management today? Is it, uh, I can see a combination of things we've talked about, which is leveraging data and science to make good decisions, putting a plan in place to get people where they want to get to, and having all of these different parts of talent management that can often operate in silos, bringing them together. Is there anything else that you think people need to be thinking about for for great talent management? I think the common element across all of those is the quality and capability of your HR leaders. Mm. Um, We, my colleague Jim Shanley and I started the Talent Management Institute, the University of North Carolina's business school about nine years ago because we really felt that independent of process, you needed someone really smart to string those pieces together and to make sure that you are actually building talent faster. And we recognized most HR leaders don't have good talent management capacity or capability. Mm. They were probably handed a deck and told to go into a room and facilitate a meeting, and that's kind of how they built talent management skills. And so we really look at at HRBPs as the foundation for the rest of talent management working. Mm. Because the COEs, the the specialists can build good stuff, that's fine, and leaders can have good mindsets and attitudes around it, that's cool. Who's going to make sure this stuff actually works? And that's going to be the day-to-day job of that HRBP to say, I'm going to make sure that talent production line is humming because, one, I understand how it's supposed to work. So I've got mm-hmm. enough technical knowledge to understand if, if the production line is built the way it should. Yep. I'm going to be smart enough to recognize that people are progressing in the way that they should along that production line. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be influential enough with my managers to make sure that we're putting the right people on the production line and we're taking the people off who are never going to make it. Yeah. And I think that combination of the technical knowledge, the influencing knowledge, and the operational capability is what really allows talent management to work. And how do people in talent development that might be designing, developing programs, or thinking about that talent life cycle, how do they best support the HRBPs to make sure that the whole business is leveraging things that they're creating? I think a few things. I think one is making sure that there is a really great needs analysis. I think that talent development folks probably have better capability in that space than the average HRBP, but then translating that assessment into real-world language and and real-world products. Mm -hmm. So I think being able to speak to that HRBP just like you'd speak to a line leader would be step one. So the ability to do a a great needs assessment and translate that into kind of a clear plan. If we're going to build Susie into a country manager, we're going to need to do these four things. And then, again, the the technical ability to then build that out in a way that's simple and robust and actually works. My experience with some learning folks is they love the big programmatic stuff. And sometimes that's great. I run a big program. Sometimes they're really effective. Mm -hmm. But that's not the only way to do things. So I think the more expert that talent development leader is across every element of development, 
from assessment to feedback to programs to coaching, and they can holistically integrate that to say, what's the most efficient and effective combination of those elements to grow Susie from finance director to country manager in the period of time that we have. Mm. So I think that holistic thinking, kind of take that great technical knowledge you have, yeah. string it together to say, my job is to produce the best talent I can as quickly as I can, yeah. here's how I would do it. Okay. Are there any other uh, big trends that you're following in talent management or talent development that you think are ch starting to change the way people work? I'm excited about the fact that I think AI in helping us to make smarter decisions will become more of a reality over the next few years. People have been talking about this for 10 years, right. and it's been all vaporware yeah. uh, because no one's had any capacity. It's happening this. now. Yeah. Um, I'm starting to see, at least with companies who have a lot of ability to do this, like mm -hmm. IBM, helps if you want Watson. So companies who have the resources are actually doing some pretty, not only predictive things, yeah. but also just transactionalizing a lot of things. What if yeah. what if you could feed Andy's profile into the AI and it would say, here's Andy's development plan. Mm -hmm. We know based not only on Andy's history, his skill set, what right. he wants to do, his personality, his intelligence, right. his availability to travel, that these three things are the optimal development activities for, for Andy. Yeah. I think we'll be there in a very short period of time. Oh, yeah. I think that's super exciting. I think it's going to take a really big investment by some companies in the near term to do it. Sure. Uh, but I would guess there's going to, there would be a Amazon-like entity that's going to say, look, we've got a lot of computing power mm -hmm. and we've got some really cool algorithms. Yep. And as long as your data fits into a reasonable framework, we can push it through and spit out some really good answers. Well, yeah, I think people are doing it. I mean, it, it's, it's so reasonable at this point because you think about Spotify knows exactly what I like to listen to and can easily make new recommendations. Instagram and Facebook know the types of people that I like to connect with and follow and will make recommendations based on that. LinkedIn does the same thing. Uh, there's no reason why we can't have something like that within talent management. And I think there are some companies working on that. Uh, I recently interviewed Kevin Cruz, who has a company called LeadX that has uh, AI-powered coaching, which is powered by IBM Watson. Okay. And there's probably a lot of other people developing things out there because the, the technology, like you said, it's there. It's yeah. available. I think here's the downside challenge. I think yeah. folks are... Maybe not taking this into account when they think about AI helping with, with talent and HR. Mm. We would probably make some fundamentally different decisions if we only made them on the facts. Mm. Because a lot of times it's like, yeah, those nine people are right for the program. Okay, he's a really nice guy. Just put him in the program as well. Yeah. AI would say, no, there's nine people who are qualified to be in that program. Yeah. Well, now you, now you need to go back to Bob and say why you're not in the program. Mm -hmm. And so I think... There's going to be a lot of that type of, or many of those types of interactions where we've said, well, they're, they're kind of good, or let's give them another chance, where AI is going to say, there's, there's no way, they're, they're, a, they're a standard deviation below the next worst person in the group, so they don't get to go. Mm -hmm. I think it in many ways, and probably appropriately, de-democratizes development, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where it's not, we're all going to grow. Yeah. Well, actually, AI says you should go really fast. You should grow kind of fast. And you folks, uh, right. we'll just learn in your jobs. But it's it's a trade off, right? Because we know that there right now 
yes, it's easy to say that humans can probably make a better call, a judgment call on that person that's on the line. But how many companies are humans using poor judgment to put the wrong people into hypo development programs because they're basing it on their own biases and not on the data or the science that shows that this person is qualified? I We work with a very large organization who's very sophisticated in this space. They have the real hypo list, then they have the hypo list that's kind of talked about. Mm-hmm. And and the hypo list that's talked about is, well, my favorite person's on it. Right. But they kind of know who's really good and then who's really good plus a bunch of other folks. Yeah. And I think AI would get us to, no, there's one list. Right. It, it, we, we know, we can predict who's going to move farther and faster. Here's the list. Yeah. I mean, there's pros and cons. There's trade-offs to both. But I can see... If I had, you know, later on looked at a list of my top interviews or most popular interviews, and maybe this one wasn't on there, I think it will be. But uh, I might think back and go, no, but Mark was a great interview. There was a ton of valuable content in that. I want him on that list, so I want to be able to adjust that list. If no likes or listens, then yeah, maybe, (laughs) maybe not. So if you're listening and you like this interview, make sure you tell me about it. Um, Two more quick questions for you, Mark. One is, do you have a book that you often recommend or that has made a big difference on you other than your own? Other than my own. Other than your own. I mean, obviously we know everyone needs to go get the one page Um, talent management and... Steps to high steps to high performance. performance. I'm holding both of my hands. Yeah, so both a person and a book by the person. uh, Marshall Goldsmith has Mm. been a friend and mentor for almost 20 years to me, and I still think his book, "What Got You Here Won't Get You There," is essential reading Mm. because it goes to the the lack of self awareness we talked about earlier. And what Marshall does is basically say, "Here's a bunch of excuses you're making about why you can't be more successful. I'm going to take those excuses away from you and (laughs) give you, in a very wonderful Marshall esque way." Uh, advice about how to be better. I love it. And it's a classic one that's often recommended and it should be required reading for everybody in in Uh, talent development. Completely right. Cool. Uh, Last question for anyone in talent development that's looking to find a way to accelerate their career, get better at what they're doing. What's one more piece of advice you would give to them? Well, let's go back to our 70-20-10 conversation. If if you believe in the 70 or at least that experiences are a big deal, be planful in getting those experiences. And in fact, in the new book, Eight Steps to High Performance, I have an experience map, which basically is just a way of saying, I'm going to plan out exactly the few big experiences I need, Mm. both functionally and managerially. So basically it says, hey, we need to get really good at stuff. So what am I going to do uh, from an experience standpoint to get better at my function? But then managerially, how am I going to prove that I can do that in a variety of different challenging situations? So, hey, Mark, you're a great HR leader in New York City. We're going to fly you to London. Do it there. Hey, Mm -hmm. Mark, you've been wonderful with a small team. Now you've got a big team. Mark, you've always been in growth markets. Now you're in a turnaround market. So what are the how am I going to chart out those experiences to say what are the few largest experiences I need to most accelerate my career? I find the more planful you are around that, the mm. faster you're going to grow. Excellent advice, Mark. Uh, this has been uh, really great, valuable content for anybody listening that wants to connect with you, get in touch, find out more. Where should they go? They should just send me one, go to our website, which is talentstrategygroup.com, or feel free to send me an email at mark, M-A-R-C, at talentstrategygroup.com. Always happy to chat with folks. All right, talentstrategygroup.com. And of course, the books are One Page Talent Management and Eight Steps to High Performance. I'm holding both of them in my hands. They're beautiful books. Go out and check those out. And uh, I hope that this has been valuable for you out there. It has been for me. And Mark, I want to thank you again for coming on the Talent Development Hot Seat. I enjoyed it, Andy. Thank you for having me. All right, take care. 
If you're looking for a place to connect with colleagues and peers from your industry and find out what other people in talent development are working on, you need to check out the brand new Talent Development Think Tank membership community. Inside, we have members from companies all over the world who are working on all different things in talent development and sharing what's been working, what's been not working, and answering each other's questions so we can all get our jobs done more effectively and be more successful in our careers. If you'd like to join us, we'd love to have you. Just head on over to tdtt.us slash community, and you can use code HOTSEAT for 25% off your subscription. That's tdtt.us slash community and use code HOTSEAT for a limited time for 25% off your subscription. If you have any questions, reach out to me and let me know and we'll see you there. Thanks for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat. If you got value out of this show, please subscribe, leave a review and share with your colleagues and friends. We want to spread the word and add as much value to the talent development community as possible. And we need your help. As always, you can find more information and connect with me at talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Take care.